Our reading for our scripture today is found in Romans, the 10th chapter, starting at the 8th verse. But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with their heart and so is justified, and one confesses with their mouth and so is saved. The scriptures say no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same is the Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In this scripture, we have been having a Bible study. We continue in our study of Romans. This book of Romans is Paul's letter to the capital of the ancient Roman Empire at Rome, He's writing this as a circular letter. In other words, he's writing this letter to be shared with the other churches on its way to Rome. So when Paul wrote the letter, it traveled to the next town. The people copied the letter and then passed it on. And that's why it's called a circular letter. It's like an early form of the internet. That's how the Bible spread throughout the Christian world in the early days. And Paul wrote this letter not as just advice, but spiritual guidance and the word of God for the people of God. As we have been studying Romans, we realize that it's an important word because in this word, we see what it means to believe and how we can believe more in Jesus the Christ in the world we live in. Um, I was getting some gas. You notice gas has gone up a lot. Well, what's going on with that? I was just very upset the other day. I went up there already. I was upset because gas had gone up, and I pulled up over there at Seminole, you know, the gas station there, and I'm trying to pump some gas, a little bit of gas into my truck. You know, it's got a big tank on it, and it's just aggravating when it goes up like that because that thing keeps spinning and costs more money. And some guy, he pulled up there, and he was playing his boombox in his car so loud. I told the compromands about this this morning. A few of them chuckled about it. And he was playing some music, and it was bad music. It was foul music. It was horrible music. And I'm sitting there trying to pump gas, and he's playing the music, and he, he I don't know what the deal is with this guy, but he's just playing loud. And I started to go over and say, man, are you deaf? But I said, no, I'm an older man. He'll chase me around this place. <laughs> and I want you to know, I didn't get all the gas. I didn't fill it up. I just put in a little bit because I couldn't stand the music. It was foul language. It was hurting my ears. And I just got sick of it, and I just left, I, you know. And it didn't cost me as much. I noticed that. It's, it's amazing when you quit pumping, it, it's, it, it doesn't cost you anymore. Isn't that amazing? And I want you to know on the way to Sanford, I preached up a storm after that. I just preached up a storm. Sin has a way of making a preacher light up, you know. This man was sinning. He was committing a sin. He was playing foul music. His grandmama would be ashamed of him for doing this. And he was playing that music. Uh, and, and, and he it just, is, it's very apparent, has no relationship with the Lord. Because if he feared God, he wouldn't be doing that. 
Now, in the scripture today, we find out the first part of salvation, of being saved, is confessing. Confessing. It's going to be on the screen there. <laughs> um, I think Brad's looking at the highlights from the uh, Duke Carolina game. I'll get to that in a moment. There we go, confessing. The first step of salvation is confessing. It means we need to fess up. <laughs> it means we need to face the music and realize we're sinners. And I have to admit, there was some anger in me with that guy playing that loud music, and I have to confess that. Confession is good for the soul. Now, now let me take an aside here that I wouldn't have done earlier in my ministry in the 1986 and I started preaching in the Sand Hills. Uh, I preached some on sin. My daddy said, you really need to work on your sin sermons. He said, you're just too nice to people. You gotta work on that. Last sermon he ever preached was on sin. The day he had the stroke. Today's his birthday, by the way. I realized that sitting here just a few moments ago, I looked at the date and I was thinking to myself, oh my Lord, it's his birthday. Isn't that something? But it, I have to confess that there was some anger in me towards him for being a rude and obnoxious person. See, confession is good for the soul. What confession does is it gets us in the right relationship where we need God. And that's what I didn't preach years ago that I've started preaching now this society is trying to usurp the theology of confession. It's trying to say to people, you don't have to confess to anything. Everything you do is okay, no matter what it is. If you want to stand on one leg and scream, feel free. Just do that. Just don't do it now. See, confession allows us to realize we need God. And to a society who never confesses, they don't need God. So these people are doing whatever they want to, like this boy. I know he's got a nice sound system in that car, and I know he's wanting to show it off. That's what he was doing. He probably put $1,000 into that car, and, and the car weren't worth $1,000, by the way. <laughs> and he put $1,000 into that car so we could hear his music. And, and, and he probably paid for that CD, and he's playing that. He wants everybody to hear it, and he's trying to be, you know, Billy Bad or whoever he wants to be, uh, and, and he's, he needs to confess. He needs to say, you know, I, I just need to get my priorities straight in life. See, he, uh, he needs to confess and say that I'm not living the way I need to. Uh, it's just amazing, the language. Our children are having to hear language at school. Horrible language. It's embarrassing, isn't it? We ought to get some soap and give to our children to take to school and hand out to children that need, you, you know, that. It's just reached a point that our society is thinking somehow we don't have to confess. And if we take away the confession, we take away that first step of salvation, which means a person never can be saved, can never be held accountable. See, confession is what, uh, that's what Paul was saying to the church at Rome. Rome, you got some answering to do. You've been killing all these people. You've been taking over all, all these nations. You're a ruthless, rude uh, government. Your, your people are rude. They're doing bad things. You need to confess. See, Christianity, it's not an easy faith. 
Christianity demands that we live a righteous life, and we need to confess, and, and, and that's what I was doing. I was preaching. I, I was preaching when that guy playing that music. Oh, I lit up in the car. I was preaching away. It was a good sermon, too. I heard it. It was real good. I was preaching about people not being respectful. I was saying to myself, I can't believe this is happening. What's wrong with the world uh, and, and the whole bit? And, and, and just one of those things that we have to realize in our culture— needs it. Now, let me put it in another way, because this way don't work too well for people this day and age. We're sick. We're sick. And, and you want to get better, right? I mean, we're sick. You want to get better. So what do you do to get better? You take medicine. And sometimes what? That medicine tastes really bad. Sometimes that medicine is hard to take, but that medicine's good for you. See, sin is a sickness. We tried to make it into this uh, thing that's about only our actions instead of what it really is. Sin is the brokenness given to us through the sin of Adam. And this sin is keeping us from being with God. We're sick and we need to be healed. And the first stage of being healed is to say, I've got a problem. You cannot be healed unless you realize uh, that there's something wrong and I need to get better. See, the first step is to say, I need to go see a doctor. Well, if there's sin alive in your life, you need to go to the doctor and that doctor is Jesus. And he will give you, that's what it says here, confess and, and you share these things that only Christ can help to overcome. Now, I remember growing up, my daddy, he could preach. Oh, my Lord, he could preach. He could make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. I mean, he was that good. He'd make you laugh. He'd tell a, like a Jerry Clower type story. And then he would turn around and get serious. And I used to just be riveted to his word thinking, oh, my Lord, he's just really, he's hammering today. And I noticed people, they kind of wiggling and moving around because, you know, we're all sinners and we need the grace of God. But my dad never left the service on that note of leaving a person without hope. He said, yes, we need God. And how do we do it? We do it by professing. That's the next word. Profess. There we go. Profess. See, con means against, pro means for. So con means things that are against us. The sin is against us. And pro means things that are for us. And how do we state that? We profess that Jesus is the answer to the sin. These are basic ABCs of being saved. How is a person saved? A saved person is first a person who steps forward in the grace of God, and God uh, uh, hears their sin, hears their sorrow. They say they believe, and once they profess Jesus as Lord of life. Now, I've got to admit again, confession is good for the soul. Uh, it's not like that one church I heard that... Uh, they kind of broke out in confessions. And some guy on the back pew, he, he stood up and uh, he had to confess that uh, uh, he had been lying about his weight on uh, you know, tobacco. Uh, he had been making it wet so he could get more money. He confessed about it. His wife pulled him down and said, hush up. <laughs> I was going to use that money. See, see we, um, sometimes we don't want to confess but we need to confess. Um, 
And, I, and, I, and I've got to admit that during the game last night, I have to confess, I got aggravated. Didn't y'all get aggravated? It's like somebody took the gold and made it very small for Gimford, Carolina. We couldn't hit the side of a barn. And Duke started coming back. And we didn't even have to face that Zion guy, thank goodness, but I do want to see him at full power. But I have to confess that I got a little aggravated because I said, they're going to go and do it again. They're going to go and lose again. I can't believe this team, the aggravation. And then finally, we made a couple of stops, and I got a little aggravated. Now, I then had to, you know, profess that it's a good feeling when things turn out the way they're supposed to. I profess that it's all going to be all right. See, I know it's tough. I know sometimes it gets us down. I know we feel like we can't shake the burden. We can't shake the weight, but it's going to be all right. I know our nation's in trouble. I know we got people arguing on every side and nobody's listening to each other and everybody has an opinion because of the internet and the age of information. Everybody now has the power of publication. Now, I know we live in a nation that's gotten far away from God and we tolerate leaders who are living unethical lives at every level of government and every level of society. And, and, and I know it's aggravating. We can't trust uh, the people anymore. We can't trust even the, you know, the church anymore because it's being attacked every day and the church is attacking people the way it's acting without love and Christian hope. I, I just, uh, but God is, is, is at work in our midst. And I tell you what to get our attention. I tell you what to wake us up. Something happened. People get serious. Back in, uh, well, the great earthquake of Charleston back in the 1880s, my grandfather's mother and my grandfather's father, he proposed to her. The story is in the family, while the quake was going on, she was sitting on the fence. Now, I think it was a literal, not a figurative story. And the quake shook her off the fence and she decided to marry him. See, the quake shook people up, and they went to church, and they showed up after 9-11. Did you know that I preached a revival series that went for five straight nights in the mountains? It was only supposed to be a two-night series, a short series over at a Baptist church. I was over there working at Lake Genaluska in the mountains, and the Baptist heard that there's this guy over there that loves to preach and tell stories and the whole bit. And they had me come over. And every night, this was like the week after 9-11. And every night, the service just kept getting bigger. And the Methodists showed up, of course. And then uh, the Wesleyans showed up. And every night, we grew. And finally, we had hundreds of people at this revival because I happened to be preaching the week after 9-11. And people were shaken up by the events. And they turned to God. And I want to know why is it we got to be shaken up to thank God, but when we're happy, we forget about God. Why is I'm preaching again? I'm driving, gas costing too much. Some rude guy drove up with too loud a noise, and I'm getting aggravated again. Preachers get aggravated a lot, especially this day and age. And I've been aggravated at my denomination. We people call Methodists. We spend all this energy and time over things that I know people are sensitive about and I know the culture we live in, everybody's got to be so delicate about their handling. But how about we focus on Jesus a little bit, okay? 
Can I at least get an amen? Let's have a general conference just for Jesus. Where we talk about Christ and the nature of Christ. And I know people are doing what they're doing and the whole bit. That's, it's not, it, the sin is a disease. And if we take away the ability to diagnose the disease, we can never know what is killing us and what is leading us to the punishment that is coming. Because that profession is that Jesus is our salvation. And that's the next part. And I ask the compromands this about salvation. What is salvation? And I said it is the act of saving. God is saving us in the present tense right now. Oh, we can say that we've been walking with the Lord a while, and that's wonderful to know that in your heart and to have that assurance. I have it in mine. I pray you have it in yours. I remember the moment that I was given that assurance, but I can tell you right now, God is saving me because every day I'm like trying to take flight and the gravity of sin is keeps pulling me back down. And no matter how high up I get when I'm preaching and having fun and calling people to account and trying to spread the love of the word of God, it's still like at moments I start to come down. I'm just like Carolina. I can't hit the side of a barn door sometimes because I get in my own way. Now, I know some are upset we haven't locked the doors of this church. And I don't blame you. First church I ever served, Mr. Jesse. I won't say his last name in the Sand Hills. Somebody broke into the church and the insurance came. This was in 1986. Somebody broke into the church and the insurance came and said we had to lock the doors. And Mr. Jesse said, it won't happen. So my granddaddy didn't lock the doors and we won't lock the doors. And the insurance man said, if you don't lock them, we're going to take away the insurance. And Mr. Jesse said, he was on our trustees. God bless trustees. He said, well, I'll do it then. I'll put the locks in. And so what happened is that I was out there that day, he put the locks in, and I want you to know he put new locks on every door of that church, and the whole time he did, I watched this man. He was 80-some years old. He cried. A grown man, a granddaddy. He was crying because he said, he kept saying, I can't believe we've gotten that bad that we got to lock the doors of the church. So I know what it is. But we're not locking God in. And we're definitely not locking God out. The reason we're locking the doors is there's some crazy people out there. Let's just get on down to it. There's some crazy people. Like the boy who drove up in the car playing the bad music at the gas station. They're crazy. And crazy, by the way, is sin. And that guy had it all over him. He was crazy and he was sinful. And I did need to go over there and tell them, are you hard of hearing, brother? Do you? I, I did do that years ago when I was going to seminary. I was, oh, I was little Lord Formeroy preacher. I'm coming back from Wake Forest one day, and somebody was rude to me on the highway. They give me a signal and a sign, and it weren't hello. And they uh, come up on me, and they blew the horn, and they were being rude. I don't know if I cut them off. I have no idea why this person did that, coming out of Raleigh, you know, Wake Forest. And this person, uh, they took on off, and I was just aggravated. Uh, I'd just been to seminary. I was learning about God, and I was studying Old Testament, so God's judgment was high on my mind. And so I kind of followed him, and this guy pulled into the gas station, and I pulled into the gas station, and he was over there getting a soda out of the cooler. And I barged in the gas station and I walked right up to him and he looked at me and his eye bugged out. He got a little scared, you know. That's what Carolina looked like last night when they couldn't hit nothing like the barn door. 
He looked at me like it was going to be trouble. And I said, brother, I want you to know I'm inviting you to church next week. He said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll go to church. Where do you go to church? I, I have a church way down in the Sand Hills. And, and you come. Oh, yes, sir. I'll be there. I'll be there. I told my daddy about this. I said, Daddy, why do you think he was so willing to come? He said, did he come? I said, no. He said, Jerome, he didn't see a preacher. He saw a 250-pound man about to, uh, you know, step on him. He was a little old guy. See, he weren't, he weren't professing. He was scared. And you're not professing Jesus if you're scared into it. you got to accept it and say, Lord, you are the answer. You are the solution. I am being saved. And how he does that is the Lord grabs us from the waters and he pulls us out. He pulls us out of the troubled waters. That's why I love all those old hymns that talk about the water and how we're saved and the ship of Zion, how that uh, you know, metaphor is given that God lifts us up out of the waters. And that's what Paul is telling everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So what do you do when you're drowning in the water? You don't say, I'm not drowning, there is no water. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The Lord's calling and he's telling us. That there is water, and we're drowning in it. Do you hear the call? Wake up. Did somebody do that time and wise? Do I got tricksters in this church? I've had churches before with tricksters. The one time I was preaching, the Lord was coming, and some guy had set it up where it sounded like the walls were coming down with a sound effect, and the people started moving around, you know. The Lord is saying, he's saying, wake up. He's saying, I'm calling you. Answer. And what happens is that we pick it up, and we don't go, hello. <laughs> when you're drowning, you don't spend time for salutations or being nice or being polite. You say, Lord, I need your help. And what does the Lord do? Does he hang up on us? Isn't that amazing? The phone rings and the preacher makes it a part of the sermon. I'm preaching right down the highway. And he's saying, okay, I'll be right there. I'll drop what I'm doing. I'm up here leading the angelic band. I'm up here singing songs and my people are gathered around me as the end is at hand. But I'm going to come because you're the one lost sheep and I'm going to come and I'm going to find you. And the Lord finds us no matter where we get ourselves. And he says, I want you to be with me. So what does he do? He doesn't try to coax us and say, will you please come with me? I need you in heaven. Do you really think God needs us in heaven? He wants us in heaven. He loves us, but he doesn't need us to be God. He was God long before we come about. Who do we think we are? But he comes and he says to us, I'm here. And then he grabs us. <laughs> you ever had the Lord grab you? Is the Lord grabbing you now? Sin been too heavy? Anger, malice, things we do in the dark even though they become things of the light. The Lord grabbing, the Lord saying you, come on. And he grabs us and it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. My daddy preached thousands of sermons throughout his life and every sermon was about salvation. The purpose was not to teach a lesson, though he taught so much. He was a learned man, a brilliant man, a man who knew the Bible, 
knew history and knew how to tell a story and knew how to weave it together so it became not just my narrative but all who listened and he preached revivals along with the Tyson brothers like Gene and all the others all across the conference and every time he did he shared the gospel in a powerful way to get people to see the need of salvation. We are being saved today. We need our medicine. We need the hope of Jesus Christ in our life. It's going to be tough the next few years. Our culture isn't turning around overnight. Our culture is in trouble. But God didn't put America here to be a dark place, but to be a light on the hilltop. God put us here to know the nature of Israel and know the prophecies that are being fulfilled. We are the eagle in Revelation that protects the children as the end times start to happen. We are here for the salvation of souls. That is why we gather together. Let us pray. Dear Lord, let us listen not to the world, but listen to your voice that calls us. Lord, you reach into our lives and you lift us up. You give us hope. And that hopelessness starts to fade away and we hear only your voice and your voice alone saying, look at me, listen to me. Come to the light. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Lord, let us set aside these earthly things that hinder us so and claim the things of heaven that you call us to. We thank you, O Lord, that we are able in this struggle of life to have moments when truth, it abounds. There are moments that we know it's going to be okay, and those moments are always connected to your grace. And Lord, let us partake of that grace. For no matter how dark or light the world may be in a circle around the sun, you will be the eternal sun rise in our life. Lord, when we are sad, remind us what purpose of life is. When we are happy, let us be ones who share that joy with others. In Jesus' holy, sweet name we pray. Amen.